The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 28 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spooktacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The Master Library. Heaven straight out of hellions. Sweet Maddie, trick or treats. And the educator of exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1989. Today's card features Mike Rotunda versus the Z-Man Tom Zink. The Samoan SWAT team takes on the Midnight Express. The Cuban assassin battles wildfire Tommy Rich. The dynamic dudes take on the fabulous Freebirds. The Steiner brothers battle the debuting Doom. For the NWA United States Championship, we see Lex Luger defend that crown against Flyin' Brian Pillman. The Skyscrapers battle the Road Warriors in our co-main event. And then in our main event, we see the Thunderdome match with Bruno Sammartino as the special guest referee as the Great Muda and Terry Funk join forces to battle Ric Flair and Sting. Welcome everyone to the first edition of the Haunted House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Trick or Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of exorcisms. Educator, how are you doing this evening? It's October, baby. Oh, we are down the first month of school and oh, getting to my favorite time of the year. I love fall. I love what October and November bring, and I am super excited to be hanging out with you guys tonight, talking about some NWA action, Halloween Havoc 89. Looking forward to the show. It's Halloween Havoc 1989. We are settling the score, and to settle the score, I think we need our other trios tag team partner. So to my left is the Mast Library, Kevin, straight out of Hellions. Kevin. Are you ready for October? Oh, I am ready. I have my new official Retro Network Championship belt, much like the two of you. It helps keep my midsection warm until I get the Midian fanny pack. But boy, I mean, what what a difference to jump from In Your House 99 to Halloween Havoc 89. Like night and day. I can't believe it's just 10 years difference. Can't believe it's still wrestling, but it just shows that wrestling can be anything and that's why we love it so much yeah absolutely i think this was a 
uh, a mind melt going from the sports entertainment of 1999 in WWF uh, to this uh, 1989 NWA slash WCW production of Halloween Havoc. But uh, guys, you know, it is Halloween. It is spooky season. And I really want to go over my nightmare of a week last week. Oh, no. It was not good, guys. Oh, no. How many many shirts did you lose this time? No, not because of that. Let me just go over. um, I had a a corporate visit at work, guys. And it did not go well. Oh, (laughs) no. Okay. So corporate visit was on Wednesday. Uh, they gave me a week's notice to kind of go through and do things. So I just kind of want to go through my week real quick. Um, I pretty much worked every day, 12 hours a day. Okay. And I, my one day off was the Sunday before the visit. Okay. I ended up doing an overnight where I went in at 8 PM at night and worked all the way to 4 PM the next day to work my actual Monday shift. Um, and I did something during that shift I've never done ever before at work. You Slept took a nap clock. in your office. No, I did not take a nap. What did you say there, educator? I, I was going to say slept on the clock, but you know. No, no. I did a lunch hour shower. Oh. oh. Lunch hour shower. No, not at work. You, you think we got... <laughs> yeah, here I am in the eyewash station cleaning myself. <laughs> No, I went home and I was like, look, I needed to brush my teeth and just take a shower. Um, and you know what? It, it was it was glorious. So um, my question to you there, uh, straight out of Hellions, it's what's the weirdest thing you've ever done on your lunch hour? Oh, jeez. Um, consummated? <laughs> with... with Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a boy. <laughs> uh, educator, have you ever done anything weird on your lunch hour? I mean, you're at a school, though, so. Yeah, they probably would frown upon uh, consummating anything at your school lunch hour. <laughs> you hear that knock. This is the cops. What's going on in there? You know. This is a place of education. No, so I. I, I, you know, run errands to the post office and stuff like that, but no, nothing too, too weird because you're, you're kind of utilizing the time, you know, it's your free period or your lunch period, but in all honesty, I'm probably setting up and tearing down science labs when I was teaching science or grading papers, so nothing too, too crazy, just your typical band of life of a high school public teacher. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I went home after that and I, I fell asleep pretty easily. Uh, tried to stay up as late as possible. Fell asleep during Raw. I mean, that usually knocks me out nowadays. So, uh, <laughs> next day, worked to, uh, 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., then went home. Visit was that morning. Came in at 6 a.m. for the visit. Uh, visit got there. The person got here around 11 o'clock, and they hated the store. So, that was not worth my time whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Did they give you any constructive criticism or anything? Was yeah, it- I suck at life apparently. So, <laughs> um, no, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, there were some things. Um, obviously, it's a new store out of a staff of 41. We have 23 new people. So, 
And by new, I mean, you know, we hired them two months ago. So they've only been in our store for two months. But yeah, some constructive criticism. And it's not a big surprise. But uh, as you guys know, I moved during the pandemic. So uh, I think I was, I think I'm going to be okay. Uh, But after work, I decided to go to my local Goodwill. Because I was like, things got to look up for me. You know, I got to find something good. And Kevin, you'll never believe what I found. VHS. No. Comics. Uh, sort of. My. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Sort no, of. No, where were you going? <laughs> My hopes and dreams. Yes. Yeah. They were on clearance. Um, so I go to the CD section, Kevin. Did you say CD is in compact disc or CD is in dirty stuff? <laughs> well, it was a little bit of both. Uh, I found the Saturday morning cartoons greatest hits album. Did you really? Yeah. So listen to this. <laughs> I bring it up to the front and I I'm so excited because I have been talking about this. I've told Kevin that I want yeah. him to uh, just send me the MP3s for it, which Kevin is like, I don't know how to do that. I'm Kevin. And uh, <laughs> why do I sound like Dracula? I was going for Eeyore, but <laughs> uh, well, and, and it's Halloween. So you sound like Dracula. Yeah. Um, so, I go up to the front and the woman goes, okay, let's just make sure that the, you know, it's not scratched for you. She opens it up and there's no CD in the case. Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. That's how my day went. Um, It was basically just raining on me all day. Um, So I went home. I said, you know what? I'm going to drink a big root beer. And I did. And then I sat down and uh, yeah, that was about it. I wept slowly. My sorrows. Is it like a Mike's Hard Root Beer or something like that? No, just a regular Barks. Uh, It's loaded with caffeine. Uh, Yeah. No, but okay. So I just want to bring up something because I don't know if people really realize that Kevin and I worked together in retail. And Kevin, you did something that was probably as refreshing as a lunch hour shower one day when we were working. I did? It was hot in the store. Yeah, it was hot in the store. We were doing markdowns. We were over in the home domestics area. And you know exactly where I'm going with this. Yes, but my confusion is you saying one day. I did this all the time. Oh, God. Yeah, listen to this. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. This is a go horror ahead. for anyone that shops at this store. Your POV might store. be better. Um, so we're doing markdowns over in the domestics area, and we're sweating bullets. I think the AC wasn't working because that, that building was very old, and Kevin is sweating profusely. So bad. he decides to take a towel. Oh. Wipe himself off and then fold oh, no. it and put it back right on the fold shelf. Fold it, put it oh. yeah, right back. Right back, oh. look nice. Mm-hmm. I was refreshed, the aisle looked nice. Problem solved. It was like, <laughs> it was like Taz coming out to the ring and you just had the towel over you. <laughs> the other thing Kevin used to do too was he took out some, uh, some damaged um, cologne. And he would just have it for him. So when he got to work, because yeah. it was a hot day and he walked to work, he could throw a cologne on himself. Yeah, I just spritzed myself. Yeah. I wonder how come that job never worked out for you, Kevin? Can't I imagine why. There's many reasons. Listen, I don't do my shady stuff until I've been at a job for a while that they go, well, he does stupid stuff, but he's good at his job, so we'll let it go. I still remember the last time you worked there. And they were like, oh, how was that drive to Syracuse? Didn't you have to go bring Kevin to the hospital to help his dad? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and Kevin used me as the excuse of, oh, Matt's driving me to this place. <laughs> My dad's in the hospital. <laughs> he made me feel, you could have given me a heads up at least. 
Wow. <laughs> Still gainfully employed there, huh, Kevin? Well, oh, I, I, I mean, I left that place. And had others come and go. It's one of the few places I've worked at that's still around, though. Yeah. It's a great company to work for. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, they, they and I had issues. I can't imagine why, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they sat in the car during the death match, so. But before we move on, uh, we would like to thank HalloweenCostumes.com and Fun.com for sponsoring the Retro Network this Halloween season. Uh, use the Links in the show descriptions to get your discounts. You can save 20% off to one item on HalloweenCostumes.com and 15% off one item at Fun.com. Just use the links below and let's throw it to our HalloweenCostumes.com item of the week. This week's item of the week is actually a collection for you and your family. If you are like Kevin Hellions, then you must be on TikTok, and you know that you are a savage. Well, what better way to show the world that you are a savage than with the Macho Man Randy Savage Costume Collection from HalloweenCostumes.com. They have them available in any size to fit any member of your family. They have them in men's sizes, women's sizes, children's sizes, and don't forget about the toddlers. So, this year, be that cream that rises to the top this Halloween season and save 20% off one item by using the link in the show notes and you will be saying, oh yeah, with savings. Thanks to HalloweenCostumes.com, The Retro Network, and The House Show Podcast. Let's get to our show. We are discussing Halloween Havoc 1989. It is presented by the NWA and the WCW is in a co-promotion. It seems like was what they were going for here. We're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Philadelphia Civic Center. It says attendance here was 7,300 people. Now, going through it, the wide shots, there was a lot of empty seats. A lot of empty upper seats. Definitely. But the way they microphoned the crowd was awesome. The crowd yeah. sounded great. It's fantastic. Super hot for a lot of the spots. The For the Steiners, the Legion of Doom, very, very much so. Sting, oh gosh, they're all over. Yeah, so, so we get started with the Tombstone intro. We don't really have an intro video. It's more of an intro graphic with the four competitors of the Thunderdome match all on Tombstones. And I don't know about you guys. This really got me in the mood for some Halloween goodness. Without a doubt. Trying to set the tone, set the vibe. Their inaugural pay-per-view. Uh, trying to get uh, the idea of the, the complexity the horror that is the Thunderdome cage match, which really essentially is the precursor to what would become Hell in the Cell in the WWF later on down the road. But new concept, a new venture that uh, the NWA is trying to uh, tiptoe through, and we'll see how well they delivered. You know, it's, yes, it's wrestling. Yes, we've just discussed wrestling for 27 weeks for In Your House. But it's just different wrestling. And it, it's such a tough thing to get across to non-wrestling fans that this is different. And not only is it different, the fans are different. The presentation is different. Everything. The like the only thing I can think of off my the top of my head is like, do you buy Coke products or do you buy Pepsi products? Are they both soda? Is there similarities? Yes. 
but you get a brand loyalty to one style because you like that style, even though there is another similar option here. And certain towns are a Coke town or a Pepsi town. Certain homes only have one product or the other. Certain places are only going to play NWA, WCW or WWF. You know, sure, they're both wrestling, but it's two different things here. It's two different camps. So we are greeted by JR and Bob Cottle, who will be our ring announcers. Um, and also, too, kind of the correspondents for backstage interviews are going to be Gordon Soley and Christopher Cruz. But, guys, it is tradition that we start in Syracuse, New York, when we do a series. And we're starting in Syracuse, New York with the captain, Mike Rotundo, taking on the Z-Man in our first match of the evening. Um, Educator, what did you think of this first match? I, I thought it was weird in that like neither guy got an entrance to the match itself. They started in the ring. Uh, we're, we're doing the Mike Rotunda is doing this whole he's the captain captain of the varsity club that is now disbanded. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is no longer, you know, on, an on screen performer. We have, uh, you know, he himself is a singles wrestler. Rick Steiner has been a face now for a while, had broken away from the varsity club. Dr. Death Steve Williams is now a face. He's going to be, you know, in a match later on in the show. It's it's to me the thing that stood out and we remember IRS Mike Rotunda and the IRS character and how heavy he looked wrestling in slacks and a shirt and a tie. Mike Rotunda looked really good in in his singlet gear here, and it was I wish it would have been something maybe that he could have carried on with him further on down the road uh, with the IRS character, but I guess you know the cartoony nature of the WWF and, and making him wrestle in a shirt and a tie when he ended up coming back as the whole VK wall street character. He, again, he looked, it was such a flattering attire for him to wear such an underrated wrestler is Mike Rotunda. I wish he could have done, had a little bit more singles prominence, uh, but with his time in the WWF and there only being one secondary singles title, you can see why, you know, unfortunately he, he wasn't one of the top megastars there, but certainly utilized very, very well in his time in the NWA. He's like, I can't even express how impressed I was already with Mike Rotunda. You know, we went through everything for, you know, D'Lo Brown, Farouk, uh, other wrestlers for In Your House series. I'm just watching Mike Rotunda in this match going, why didn't he have a more successful singles run? Why didn't he have numerous singles titles? Like I'm seeing this, I'm like, he's intercontinental title level when he jumps. Like he was just so good. Yeah, so why don't we go and break down our first match of the Haunted House show. So we see a bunch of side headlocks and shoulder tackles off the rope uh, by both men to each other to start off the match. Uh, Rotunda hip tosses the Z-Man, but Z-Man ends up following up with a great-looking drop kick as a way to combat back. Z-Man is thrown out on the floor after uh, a thumb to the eye from Rotunda behind the ref's back. The Z-Man attempts to re-enter the match through a sunset flip over the top rope through Rotunda, rolls him up, and it ends up getting a two-count. One of the things I noticed, and I'm wondering if you guys saw the same, at one point when Z-Man starts running hard towards the ropes, 
just how much the ring shook a lot and like how very little give those ring ropes. We're so used to the WWF presentation and having done the in your house series and how the wrestlers bounce off the ropes in the WWF ring. I mean, it, it was very obvious the steel cables that were the ring ropes that were just basically wrapped up in tape and how very little give those uh, ropes had when Z-Man bounced off the entire rope and you could just see the ring shift. Uh, very, very obvious difference in those rings. We see Rotunda using a, a head scissors on Z-Man and he's getting really, uh, he's being successful in getting crowd heat uh, as he's grabbing the ropes for additional leverage behind the ref's back, referee Nick Patrick. Uh, Rotunda throws the Z-Man through the ropes to back to the floor after Z-Man was running the ropes, trying to rebound after an offensive maneuver. Rotunda hits a standing vertical suplex to get Z-Man back into the ring as he's suplexing Z-Man from the ring apron. He kind of does like a hesitant, cocky attempt for a pin count, but he only gets a two count. Rotunda attempts to do a clothesline and is successful as Z-Man is running the ropes, rebounding off of an Irish whip. Rotunda attempts to do a drop kick, but ends up missing the drop kick. Uh, as they're combating back and forth, we have an Irish whip into the corner as Z-Man throws Rotunda into the corner. Rotunda jumps to the second rope, attempts to do a reverse crossbody, is successful in hitting the crossbody off the second rope onto Z-Man, but Z-Man uh, ends up rolling through with uh, Rotunda's momentum and rolls up Rotunda for a quick 1-2-3 victory. And we have our first match in the books for the night with a Z-Man pinfall over Captain Mike Rotunda. I, I thought this was a great opener match. Fun, good action, exciting. Um, Z-Man apparently recently debuted uh, on the scene. Um, question, though, uh, Treats, I don't know if you picked up on this. Um, how is one get the moniker of Z-Man? I don't know, Kevin. How does one get the moniker of Z-Man? Well, the announcers called us, or told us, he's named the Z-Man by the ladies. By the ladies. Well, what would the ladies, what would that Z stand for? It's the motion that he makes with, never, I'll tell you when you're older. Okay. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> uh, educator, you'll have to show me how to take notes for that one. I, I will. <laughs> um. Ton, speaking of, though, Tons of emphasis on the Z-Man's body throughout the match. Yeah. Like, Rotundo, they could emphasize his wrestling, and his wrestling's fantastic here. But Z-Man being newer, they're like, ah, you know, he, he hit that move, and boy, doesn't he look good. I'm like, okay. Is that all we got here? Lots of references from being Mr. Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Um, There was a good line that I like, though, of you can't teach speed. Like, oh, you can teach all the wrestling moves, but you can't teach speed. I was like, you know, that's actually a good point here. I'll give you that. You can't teach someone to be as fast as he is in the ring. You just are fast or you're not. But one of the one of the things with this commentary, though, and a thing that is so different from WWF, we don't have a heel announcer or even a color right. announcer. Yeah. It's just straight up. So there's a lot of stuff that Jim Ross does. That is like he's putting over Rotunda not because he's a heel commentator or even a color, but because someone has to talk about the other guy in the match. Exactly. Like it, it was just such an interesting difference to it. Kind um, of refreshing, well, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Where not the, bad at the all. announcers are not necessarily bickering back and forth about the talent, 
they're just they're giving each talent their their you know their well due that that is owed. Absolutely. Yeah, and I thought like a lot of the moves Rotunda is doing are very basic moves. He's not doing flashy moves or anything, but he's doing them so well and so crisp that they look devastating. Like you can jump off the top rope all day long, but you get a real good looking arm drag or something. It looks even more devastating than whatever you did off the top rope, you know? Um, And the, then the way that the ending came, Z-Man looks like he eked out of victory. Rotunda doesn't look weak at all. He just looks like he was caught you know uh by surprise and they both look strong coming out of it but it was a great opener i was i'm excited to start the series yeah absolutely you guys bring up the heel announcer my question to you is one who's who's the best heel announcer of all time heenan without a doubt bobby heenan okay was he one of the first ones i mean ventura what did it prior Jesse Ventura, when he transitioned over from being wrestler to, you know, commentary, he he would always he'd always be Vince McMahon's heel, you know, commentator. But my question is, how much is it Heaton being a heel announcer, being so good at it, or him also being one of the first ones to do it, where you're not tired of hearing it? Because I think now when we we watch current product, you're just sick of it. Like it's WWE, you're sick of you know Corey Graves or Samoa Joe or whoever's talking of just like oh, okay, I'm done with this. Like just call the action. Whereas it may have been a little refreshing to hear, you know, Bobby the Brain at the time talking about if you're not you know if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and and things of that nature. Well, I mean, you're right. There's not a chance in hell that like Bobby and Gorilla were produced like. WWE announcers are produced today. Samoa Joe comes on like a breath of fresh air, but the longer he's on, the more he's fallen into the same patterns and has the same voices in his headset. Right, exactly. Same thing with Corey Graves. Right. You know, Corey Graves is great in NXT. He gets up to the main roster and... It's all the same. In the end, it's it's always one man's vision when you're on the main roster, no matter what. It's like my visit the other day. It's just one man's vision. (laughs) Didn't didn't go well. So uh, so anyways, moving on, let's go to Chris Cruz with Bruno San Martino, and they're talking the Thunderdome, and Bruno San Martino is going to be the special guest referee. Um, Was this going on during the height of Bruno versus the WWF? Um, And this had to be a big coup for them to get Bruno... Um, in the Northeast, because they're in Philly, uh, for this uh, for this event, it was just such an awkward visual to see San Martino on NWA television when he was such a fixture to WWF TV, and then to WWF in the '80s when you know he was still doing semi part time work, but also commentating as well. I mean, I remember. Just a few years back, he he had an Intercontinental Championship match with Randy Savage back in like 86 or early 87. So just such a coup to uh, for them to pull that off. And now all of a sudden he he's kind of not necessarily publicly on the show denouncing the other company, you know, the Northeast company. But, yeah, to be there in the Northeast and, and having a pivotal role in the main event, just crazy to see. You're right. It, it's in the Northeast. He's not going to wrestle anymore. That's clear. But he deserves one more pop. He deserves to know that he, he deserves a goodbye. And he wants to do it as a wrestler, not as a sports entertainer. 
this was you know we'll talk about it for the for the main event but i was happy with it just glad to see him all right then we go into match number two on the night which is the midnight express and dr death steve williams with jim Cornette taking on the samoan swat team and the samoan savage with the big kahuna Oh my goodness. This, uh, now looking back at this show, uh, and I'm making comments regarding Mike Rotunda and Z Man not having an entrance. It was tough to watch the rest of the match because of the, the music overs that were, you know, the substituted music was just crazy and just this phony music that was used as a part of their entrance. Oh, Midnight Express, such a huge fan. Of all the incarnations that existed, whether it was the you know the first version with Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, and now this version that we're seeing with Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, Jim Cornette, such a such a good foil being on the microphone. Ah, wish so much more could have happened with these guys in the early '90s, and I wish a jump to WWF could have happened. I mean, speaking of jump to WWF. We got Jim Cornette here. We got our first guy on both of our seasons here. And then the Samoans come out, and it took me a while, but there's our second guy on both of our seasons. Well, unless you count JR. Uh, fair. I was counting in ring. Fair. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, also, too, I thought it was interesting because I know we were bringing up the difference between the sports entertainment and just the professional wrestling. Really, the Samoan SWAT team are kind of a more serious sports entertainment. Am I wrong for saying that with the with the way they were presented and the entrance and all that nonsense? I absolutely love the entrance. Um, you know, the the original music that was playing was the Michael Myers theme from Halloween, actually. That was their entrance music when they were wrestling for NWA slash WCW. Uh Absolutely, the presentation with the fire batons and and so on, it was great. Uh, for fans that aren't aware of who is who, um, because of the fact that we have the Simone SWAT team, the SST, the these guys would eventually become who were the head shrinkers in the WWF, Samu and Fatu, and uh, in this case, Fatu, who had the longer braided hair eventually became Rikishi Fatu, uh, the, you know, the dancing blonde Samoan. And if you weren't aware, the Samoan Savage was actually another former WWF wrestler, uh, was managed by Bobby Heenan and as a member of the Islanders who were Haku and Tama. So Tama was actually the Samoan Savage, who is the real life brother of Rikishi. All right, so why don't we go ahead, and what did you think of the match? Why don't you break it down for us? All right, uh, so Stan Lane does a great-looking back body drop to the Samoan Savage and then follows him with a clothesline that knocks him out to the floor. Dr. Death Steve Williams tags in and does a football tackle to Samu, who had also got tagged into the match, and Dr. Death now begins to mow down through all three Samoans as he punches him and knocks him down. Got a really, really huge crowd pop. We see Doc clotheslining Fatu and then essentially power blocks through again, shoulder blocks through all three Samoans again after they get kind of regrouped and decide to go on an, uh, an offensive attack. 
Stan Lane attempts to do a hip toss to Fatu, only for Fatu to create some resistance and respond back with a vicious-looking clothesline that knocks Stan Lane down. Eventually, Dr. Death is able to tag back into the match. He closes uh, Samu very hard in the corner as the Irish whipped him in the corner and followed up with like an avalanche-like clothesline. We see Bobby Eaton tag in, and we see this uh, unique... Uh, clothesline that's thrown very similar to Daniel Bryan's running clothesline today. Macho Man Randy Savage used to throw a clothesline where he basically kicks his feet up in the air and does a lariat-like clothesline. Uh, Hits Samu pretty hard with that clothesline and goes for a pin count and only gets a two count from referee Tommy Young. We see Stan Lane get caught mid-air on a cross-body block and essentially is caught and then slammed down hard by Fatu. Bobby Eaton tries to do a bulldog on the Samoan Savage for the Samoan Savage to essentially pick Bobby Eaton up and crotch him over the corner turnbuckle. Eventually, the uh, Samoans get the upper hand. They drag Bobby Eaton out of the ring, and the two Samoans who weren't in the ring pick up Bobby Eaton and crotch him over the guardrail as well. And from one of the stiffest-looking maneuvers or sounding maneuvers of the night... Bobby he, uh, Bobby Eaton gets hip tossed to an audible splat on the actual concrete <laughs> floor. When you hear his body hit the floor, it's just it's very very gruesome uh, to just hear that splatting noise. As Fatu does a hip toss to Bobby Eaton and he falls square down um, on the concrete. Eventually, Bobby Eaton gets back into the ring. He attempts a face slam on Fatu. Uh, but the Samoans uh, uh, no-sell any maneuvers to their head because of their hard-headed nature. And uh, Fatu no-sells the uh, face slam, and he does a clothesline to Bobby Eaton to knock him back down. We see continuous tags in and out by all the Samoans to continue to work down Bobby Eaton, getting some uh, heel heat from the crowd. Eventually, Bobby Eaton is avail- uh, able to get the uh, tag to Dr. Death, who comes in and clotheslines. Uh, the Samoans press slams one of the Samoans, body slams the other Samoan, just absolutely wreaking havoc uh, with his hot tag. We see at one point one of the Samoans botch a neckbreaker that was attempted by Stan Lane, a swinging neckbreaker. It was the Samoan Savage who, uh, because he didn't twist the right way, he ends up falling down on his face as almost as, as if he took a DDT. Towards the end of the match, we see Oliver Humperdinck, who was the manager for all of the Samoans. He gets up on the ring apron, and he starts jawjacking with the referee. Jim Cornette gets on the apron, and he just completely cracks Humperdinck over the back with that tennis racket. Gets an absolute huge crowd pop for that swing onto Humperdinck. The Samoan Savage uh, then ends up knocking Stan Lane from behind into Cornette and Stan Lane ends up kind of headbutting Cornette's racket, causing uh, Stan Lane to fall back. And the Samoan Savage rolls up Stan Lane for the one, two, three victory. And the Samoans win in the first of the many tag matches that we'll see for tonight. We talk so much during in your house about people we are disappointed by Vader, uh, Dan Spivey, now, there are many. To see Dr. Death in this match, oh my god. He's so good here. He is absolutely amazing. 
the strength, the power, the speed, everything. Uh, to to be a nerd for a moment, it's Dragon Ball Z booking. Okay, the Samoans are always tough. The Samoans are always a threat. And then you have a guy come in that looks like he can easily defeat not one Samoan, but all three. He's now your new number one threat. Like he looked like he could have done this as, as a handicap match and taken all of them on. Absolutely amazing. He was so good. The crowd was super into him. Everything he did was incredible. And then if you're like, okay, out of the six guys in this match, who's going to go into WWF and win the Intercontinental title? Fatu's not my guess, <laughs> you know? Like Dr. Death's just oh, he's so good here. I know I know the stuff we're watching is nearly you know, we watched previously is nearly ten years later. So much could happen. But geez, fantastic match. Um, random other thing. I really don't know why all those tables were at ringside. Just empty, just sitting there. The announcers weren't at ringside, no one went through them, and then the next match they're gone. <laughs> I have no idea what they were there for either. I expected there to be table spots during the match. They were being set up for some reason, but just randomly they're there. And you're right. They're just randomly gone. It it was like they forgot to get rid of their merch tables. Yeah. Uh, One thing, too, that I thought was funny, and I, I sent you guys this text while I was watching the show. I never realized how much Stan Lane looked like an unjacked Lex Luger. If that makes any sense, like a before and after almost. And I love the background info, the biography that the announcers give about how he was discovered by Ric Flair at a party. And then, you know, with his karate background, used to being a former instructor, Mm -hmm. he was just able to transition really, really well into professional wrestling. I thought it was a great touch that they added on with the commentary. Yeah. And another thing, too, that I have in my notes, and I don't know if it was just more pronounced in this match compared to the first match, was I always loved the cameraman on the apron. The look of the camera, it just looked so good. I don't know. That camera angle has always stuck out. I know in WCW, they would have the little platform to the side of you know, the ring. So they're not right on the apron. But, you know, WWE stuff that we see now is so well produced. Um, and the camera angles are always perfect. Um, this one just looks more of a fight with with the camera right there, right in the action. So I really did appreciate that, um, especially coming off of the WWF series. Like you were saying for the platform, I, I don't look ahead for these things. Like when we're done recording that I, I'll watch the next one then. I'm really hoping there's a ramp one of the ones that's level to the ring at some point during Halloween, one of the Halloween Havocs. I love that WCW ramp. I think it adds so much things that you can do in a match, especially gives a lot of ground for a cameraman to stand. And that that's the one thing too, that I'm very curious about as we go through these Halloween Havoc episodes, because we're not watching them. They're not monthly like they were for the in your house series. I mean, we're going to see a snapshot of different years, so right now we're in 89. Of course, we're going to do 90 next. So um, there's going to be a lot of changes, I think. Just the kind of different things that we will see, you know, as we continue. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a unique look rather than a month by month, essentially, transition from storyline to storyline. Now that we're going to see just big old gaps, big jumps, 
what bigger picture angles or storylines are, are, are the focus of the, of the company and the presentation of the product. So, Kevin, I got a question for you. Uh, okay. I want to see you do the 1,000-watt boogie. The 1,000-watt boogie? Yeah. Did I miss this? Well, I mean, I don't know. Did you see the interview with uh, Gordon Soley interviewing Gary Hart with Terry Funk? Where Terry Funk says he's going to do the 1,000-watt boogie inside the Thunderdome? I think I was so distracted because I thought, who is this giant that ate Terry Funk? Because that's not the Terry Funk I'm used to seeing. This is an absolute monster here. Yeah, Terry Funk looked to be in incredible shape. And I'm so used to seeing uh, from ECW on Terry Funk. I did not realize how jacked um, Terry Funk was. Dude was yeah. absolutely shredded. And he was shredded more here than compared to like his 1986 WrestleMania 2-ish run saturday night's main event when he was tagging with his brother uh you know haas funk and so on um yeah he looked phenomenal here i i even wrote that down in my notes like he just absolutely looked shredded so kevin whatever um you know diet terry funk was on i think that's what you need to do for this uh fatrion i mean patreon that you're doing <laughs> uh what was uh nwa wcw's version of ico pro <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure um so why don't we go into match number three um we have the cuban assassin taking on wildfire tommy rich and going into this and seeing the card i'm gonna say this match has to be in the running for the kevin hellions halloween breakdown but Son is it a... that is the question i'm gonna ask the educator is this the match you chose not today. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this match sucked. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad that even the crowd turned on the face Tommy Rich, and you had audible Tommy, Tommy Rich sucks chance, the groan for the finish. And like, as soon as Tommy rich got the win, he just got out of the ring. There was no celebration. There was no nothing. Uh, they, they had to get out of there as quick as possible. I, it's, it's so bad. We shouldn't have like, what's, what's arguably going to be our worst match of the series from the first episode. It's crazy. But I think we do. Yeah. This may be coming. This may come in the, in the uh, rutting for worst match of the series when we do our wrap up. But why don't we go ahead and uh, have the educator break this one down for us? Oh, baby. Here oh, we go. So the Cuban assassin play. attacks uh, Tommy rich to start the match as he's getting in the ring. Eventually Tommy rich was able to uh, rebound and body slam the assassin. Uh, we start to already hear an audible Tommy rich sucks chance uh, from the crowd. We see an ugly, ugly, ugly looking sunset flip that Tommy Rich attempts to do over the top rope uh, to the assassin for a two count. We hear again, more audible cro uh, crowd groans. Uh, they're just not into this whatsoever. We see the Cuban assassin continuing to work on the left arm and shoulder of Tommy Rich with arm locks and shoulder locks. The assassin hits a high running knee, knocking Tommy Rich through the ropes onto the apron. 
The Cuban assassin attempts to do a pile driver onto Tommy Rich, but Tommy Rich is able to counter and do a back body drop. The Cuban assassin is successful with hitting a standing vertical suplex. The assassin climbs the top rope uh, for an offensive maneuver, but Rich is able to shake the ropes and essentially knock down the Cuban assassin off the turnbuckle onto the floor. The assassin is able to climb back into the ring. He tries to do a crossbody off of the second rope uh, from a corner Irish whip, but Tommy Rich ducks that crossbody attempt, and then he hits the opposing ropes and does a leaping Luthez press. Certainly doesn't have the impact of a Luthez press that we think about with Steve Austin, but he does a weird-looking Luthez press and does hold down the Cuban assassin for a 1-2-3 victory. And thankfully, this match is over. It's just, I, I mean, like, I know the next, the 91, there's a lot of matches cut. Um, This match should have been cut. It, it should have been buried. Like, this is one of the worst matches I've ever seen. What got me is, they're talking about, oh, Tommy Rich is probably the comeback story of the year. I'm like, where's the rest of him then? Like this, if this is a comeback, he should have brought the rest of himself back. He looks scrawny. He looks weak. He looks out of shape. He's botching moves. And Cuban Assassin is not like a a a threat that's gonna you know sell tickets and get the crowd into anyways. Like everything about this is awful. Hey, side note, because this match was so fun, I saw no WCW logos at all during the show. And I only saw one NWA logo and it was on a t-shirt in the crowd. It is during the, it's, it's this weird time where, um, there was a recent sale and acquisition and we're right now on the, on the cusp of Ted Turner, uh, looking into purchasing this, the, the NWA and the rights to the NWA or as WCW. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird transition year. This is no longer technically Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, we're now just getting to the point where, uh, Ted Turner is going to be taking over. The branding wasn't on par, especially Definitely. when you go from a WWF event, which is all about the branding. Right. Um, to this, it is very, uh, a very dramatic change of pace. So uh, we followed that up with Gordon Soley uh, interviewing the Freebirds. Um, and then we move on to the father of two of the greatest wrestlers ever to grace <laughs> the ring. We're talking the dynamic dudes with Jim Cornette taking on the fabulous Freebirds. Uh, Kevin Hellions, who were the Dynamic Dudes? Why, the Dynamic Dudes were one, John Laronitis, Johnny Ace, who you may remember from, uh, what was it called, People Power in WWE when he was Raw Commissioner for a little while. Um, Also brother of Road Warrior Animal. And then his partner, a young up-and-comer by the name of Shane Douglas, who's a proud member of the NWA at this time before he throws down their world title years from now. Yeah, and of course, Johnny Ace would, you know, probably more famously known now as being on Total Bellas. Stop it. <laughs> so Stop it what did you, What did you think of uh, this match, Educator? A couple of things stand out about this match. Number one, uh, I'm sure you guys both picked up on it. 
the Freebirds are the World Tag Team Champions. You would assume that both Freebirds would have Tag Team Championship belts. Michael Hayes does not have his championship belt. Not sure if the belt is physically lost, if the belt was damaged and one of the side plates had broken off and they didn't want to have that belt on TV. Um, Something definitely is up for the fact that Jimmy Garvin was the only one wearing one of the championship titles uh, to the ring. The other thing that that stands out is how much the crowd turns on the idea of Jim Cornette managing the dynamic dudes and just outright booze them and such a huge pop for the Freebirds. It's a little slow to the start, but by the end of the match, when the Freebirds finish, oh my goodness, the crowd is just loving everything about the Freebirds. Uh, okay. One, I'm assuming that the bell um, had some sort of uh, Velcro effect on his hair, which seemed never-ending. And he couldn't wear it comfortably. But between the interview and when the Freebirds come out, and it's nothing against the Freebirds, all respect. But what are they supposed to be at this point? Are they supposed to be sexy? Are they supposed to be cool? Are they supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek goof on something? Greatest rock and roll band of all time, baby. Have you ever been to like a family reunion or something and all the guys like the dads, the uncles, whatever, decide that, you know, they're going to sing a song and make it, you know, asses of themselves and goof around or work party something. That's what the Freebirds seem like here. They seem like they're trying to go out and purposely being over the top, like to embarrass their children. And yet there are no children here to embarrass Part of, and I I get what you're saying, but the, again, the cut of the music, the entrance music, what they actually played, the Bad Street USA music, that was not actually the music they were using. They actually came down to Freebird, and again, because of copywriting, they couldn't do that. So the weird gyrations and the movements that they were making to the Bad Street USA music didn't match up to the beat and the tones that would be with with the Freebirds. I get what you're saying, absolutely. Um, They're like an over-the-top kind of group here, but the crowd was just so all over them, popping hard for them. They just hated the idea of the dynamic dudes being on TV and, and being contenders for the tag championship. All right, if I can't take this video and download an MP3 of Freebird and try to sync it up, I will instead take that MP3 and I'll grow up my chest hair and body hair and I'll see if I can recreate Michael Hayes' motions to see if it looks better. (laughs) Kevin, I mean, you know sexy, so. Uh, Now, was that K-N-O-W or N-O? Well, so... uh, the reason I say you know sexy, Kevin, is because you are a man who uh, one time we were hanging out at your place and someone left to get a drink from the fridge and you found a magic marker and you wrote the word <laughs> yum across your chest with an arrow pointing down to your crotch. But the joke was on you because it was a permanent marker. <laughs> it didn't go away for weeks. 
Yeah. So uh, I feel like you know sexy. <laughs> Kevin, you want to swim in the pool? Absolutely not. <laughs> How long did you scrub your torso for? Oh, God. It was probably like three weeks to a month before that went away. Wow. <laughs> I haven't thought of that in years. And really? Because I can't stop thinking about it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm glad I had that effect on you. I don't think my wife knows that story. It's my own personal Halloween havoc. (laughs) I have lived with her for nearly 12 years, and I don't think she's ever heard that story. She would love it. Why don't you surprise her one day with that? Oh, and just do it again? Yeah. Yeah. Are you sponsored by the Yum Brands? It's KFC, it's Taco Bell, it's Kevin D's. <laughs> wow. I was that night. All right, well, all right. so night. moving on. Let's move it on. Uh, we have Christopher Cruz with the Steiner Brothers. And I have a question for you, educator, because you're great at breaking down promos. What the hell are they talking about in this promo? Oh, my gosh. I'm surprised the Steiner math didn't start because whatever <laughs> Scott Steiner was rambling about... It, I don't. I couldn't follow it whatsoever. This he can't mince words together whatsoever, and the only recovery was it was Rick Steiner just kind of yelling almost at the top of his lungs about how he's going to get payback. So it's crazy. Now, no, I have a question because there there's a lot of history that the announcers give. Here's what this guy used to be. Here's this guy's accomplishments. Educator. If Scott Steiner's life went a different way, as he apparently wanted it to go before becoming a wrestler, how do you think he would have done as a teacher? Oh, definitely wouldn't have been a math teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we follow that up with match number five on the card, which is the Steiner brothers taking on the debuting Doom with Woman. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and, uh, Educator, why don't you break this one down for us? Oh, 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 I do believe. Hot tag over to Kevin Allian. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Halloween Havoc Kevin Hellion's breakdown <laughs> of the evening. <laughs> Take it away, Mr. Kevin, straight out of Hellion. I'm, I'm looking. I was like, okay, he's doing this match. I'm not doing the next match. I'm sure of that. And maybe I'm doing the match after that. I'm like trying to guess. Good swerve. All right. Let's see here. And again, I don't know what is coming. So my notes do not change. I watch the shows. I just take the notes as normal. Whatever match is selected for me, so be it. Steiner Brothers versus Doom with Woman. Steiners are so aggressive, beating the hell out of Doom. Scott Steiner was going to be a teacher. <laughs> I like how this is just like a window into your psyche. It really is. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> it's my dream board. If I didn't know who this was under the mask and hadn't just watched a lot of Farouk, I could not tell these two apart. Just two big teams beating the hell out of each other. As athletic as the Steiners are, both teams probably look better against teams with different styles. Frankensteiner. Rick Steiner power slam. Woman on the apron. 
Rick a little distracted. Woman puts something in a mask. Headbutt. Pin. Doom wins. And that has been <laughs> your Halloween Havoc breakdown with Kevin straight out of Hellions. Yeah, um, I enjoyed this match. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I just figured if you would have a team debuting, that they would pretty much squash the other team. Yeah, I would have definitely yeah. done a squash as well. Um, I will say the Frankensteiner that was hit in the match, oh, it looked glorious. Uh, Farouk, uh, Ron Simmons really, really did well in taking that maneuver. Um Flipped over just brilliantly, very smooth transition. Yeah, just looked fantastic. Uh, the just them beating the crap out of each other. The the double suplex that happened towards the beginning of the match, where they both did a uh, the both Steiners did a waist lock, float around, and then belly to back suplex both the Doom and dropped them on their heads. Oh, just crazy. Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, such an underrated tag team as the masked version of Doom. And then eventually when they unmasked and and had a pretty good run, uh, such such a good good tandem together. You know, like the Frankensteiner. Scott Steiner got even bigger, but he is not a small man here by any means. And that he could get his ass up to hit the Frankensteiner is absurd like when you see a, a super detailed like a jim lee drawing of a comic book body and they have all these muscles that you've never seen before scott steiner has those muscles right and you can see them you know like he has that split in his leg muscles like that's how defined he is and yet he got up for that move for years absolutely like he's gotta he's gotta be what would you call him a big man? If so, he's got to be one of the most athletic big men ever. Right. Yeah, it's impressive to see. Uh, if You forget how athletic he was in these Steiner brother days before he put on the chain mail, and that slowed him down. So, um, <laughs> But why don't we, um, on that note, after I think, I think we all need a break after Kevin broke that one down. So why don't we uh, take a quick little commercial break? Promotional consideration. Paid for by the following. This October, the Retro Network presents the TRN Haunted Halloween. 31 days and nights of spooky-themed fun from pop culture's past and present. A full month of podcasts, videos, online features, and giveaways to make the hair on your neck stand up. TRN's Haunted Halloween will also haunt your social media channels with even more shocking goodies. Get the full experience by dropping into the TRN VIP lounge for more bone-chilling excitement than you can handle. Subscribe to the Retro Network podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the TRN YouTube page. Follow TRN on your favorite social media channel at TRN Social. And visit the RetroNetwork.com daily for all the chills and thrills. There's no tricks, only treats as the Retro Network presents the TRN Haunted Halloween all month long in October. All right, we are back with another Gordon Soley interview, and he is interviewing Lex Luger. And I have a question for you guys. Um, obviously we all know how Lex Luger's career panned out. Um, 
And for some reason, the only person that I can compare to him now that I wrote down is, do you think Austin theory would be a good comparison for Lex Luger than, you know, to now to modern times? In what way? Yeah, I'm I'm not seeing that at all. <laughs> um, just in, I feel like that he's got the right look to be a superstar. Obviously, he's super young in his career, but do you think he will be able to connect to the audience better than Luger ever did? Because okay. I think the main complaint with Luger was that he had all the tools but he just couldn't really put it all together or it just didn't feel right. And he didn't really connect with the audience. Whereas, you know, when you're looking at what makes a superstar, what makes someone in wrestling, that's going to take them to that next level, they can check all the boxes, but they're just like these intangibles that aren't there. And I know Austin theory is literally like what? 22, 23. So right. he's super, super young. But for some reason that comparison, when I was looking at it was like just jumping out at me, like, Oh my God, I feel like, they could be on uh, similar career paths. Right. All right. How about uh, this? Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that comparison uh, that you're making. Uh, I guess your opinion or maybe what your, your revisionist theory, thinking of, of Luger having all the tools. A lot of the things that I've seen or interviews I've read is that a lot of people didn't think very fondly of Luger because he was limited in the ring. Um, you know, he, he was mostly a power guy, n- not really too, too much into the whole wrestling and the moves. It was more of the punches, the stomps, the clotheslines, the power slams and the suplexes. After that, there wasn't really much, much more that, that Luger really did. So, um, had a phenomenal look was okay on the microphone, but his in-ring work, you know, if if he had decent matches, it wasn't because of him. It was who was carrying him through the match. At least that's the vibe I got from just doing a lot of reading. I mean, former football player, huge, phenomenal look, great look comes in and you just see him you're like this guy's gonna be a star and then he works and he's rather limited so you put him in there with everyone you can think of that he could learn from anything you can do to cover his mistakes problem is now he's not connecting with the fans at all the fans don't give a poo about him so geez let's throw accolades on him let's throw titles on him let's put him in main event pushes and let's cross our fingers and hope eventually at some point either he figures it out or the fans find something to love about him to just justify this position. We've put the guy in all the money we've put towards him and that's Baron Corbin. Yeah, there it is. I, I don't think Baron Corbin, I don't think Baron Corbin's that bad though. Personally, like he's a heel. You're supposed to hate him. Like they're not trying to push him as the face. And I think that's the issue that happened with Luger was they were trying to build him up as the face. Whereas I think if they would have gone down like the narcissist kind of kind of way and just kept him as a heel, it would have worked better. I mean, Luger flip flopping as much as Big Show did him no favors. Right. But in the end, that's is that really his fault? No, that's that's management. That's That's the bookers. That's that's. 
I mean, that's not anything of his fault. Anything of his fault would be limited in ring, not so great on the interview, failure to connect with the crowd, him flip-flopping back and forth. That's not any fault of his own. But I, I do think he made a better heel than a babyface. Where do you compare him with Roman? Uh, Career-wise? Roman's much more polished in the ring. Or it has I, been. I yeah. think Roman, yeah, I think Roman's better, but like just connecting with audience, you know what I mean? Like everything that we've been saying, though. I mean, obviously, Roman is I, just, honestly, I mean, they have more though, faith in I, Roman. I, I, I don't think it's going to ever be, a, that would ever be a fair comparison for Roman uh, with Roman because he's always going to have that sympathy because of the illness as opposed to Luger and the stigma of the drugs and everything that happened with Elizabeth. Uh, It's just, they're so far different. And it's crazy to think now too, where Luger is, you know, as far as when you're talking about, to be honest with you, when you're talking sympathy of, uh, you know, when you see him in a wheelchair and stuff like that, it's pretty, pretty incredible. But uh, why don't we move on to match number six? Because I, I think we can all agree this was a highlight of the evening and of this event. Uh, we get flying Brian Pillman coming out with a bunch of cheerleaders taking on the total package Lex Luger for the United States Championship. And I got to admit, guys, I loved this match. It was it was a great contest. Uh, educator, what did you guys think? Oh, I I absolutely adore this match as well um again the background of both men by commentary i really impressed with commentary about how they were both football players how they both were linemen pillman in particular was nose tackle you know how pillman actually has lost weight to become a wrestler so that he's faster uh and more mobile yeah i and just pillman was a good foil for Lex Luger and the finish of the match when we get to the breakdown just kind of sort of out of nowhere and it's not ever one of Luger's normal finishes but he just takes advantage of the situation yeah I thought it was a great match we've we've seen Ron Simmons under mask we've seen fruit we've seen Fatu we've seen Jim Cornette etc this one really hurts because of what Brian Pillman we saw in the in your house series and my God, he looks like a star here, right? He just looks like give him everything, and I, I, I'm shocked they didn't. Like he looks incredible. Yeah, I mean, this was, this is great. <laughs> this really was. Uh, but uh, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right, sounds good. We start the match with some collar and elbow tie ups back and forth by each man, trying to do them uh, to feel each other out. Uh, stages of the match itself we see luger with a scoop slam onto pillman and then he tosses pillman out onto the floor but pillman rushes back into the ring after that being tossed out and essentially spears luger and then starts brawling with luger and does a couple of rick flair like chops in the corner uh lighting up luger's chest luger rebounds with an upper hand with some stomps and punches into the ring corner onto Pillman to try to get the upper hand. Pillman with a springboard reverse cross body off the top rope. It was great to see him do this vertical leap as he's being Irish whipped in the corner. He, he essentially leaps right up to the top turnbuckle and does a high cross body 
on to Luger to get a two count from referee Tommy Young. Uh, we see Pillman uh, avoiding a hip toss throw from uh, Luger by twisting out of it. He hits a drop kick and then an arm drag onto Luger. Pillman continues to work Luger's arm throughout the match, uh, just trying to get work on his upper body so that he's not capable of being able to be very offensive, perhaps trying to limit his mobility in the arms to do the, uh, the torture rack for a finish. We see Brian Pillman hitting a crucifix roll-up attempt for a two-count, and afterwards he just continues to work on Luger's left arm and shoulder. Pillman climbs to the top rope and attempts a top rope superfly-like splash, but Luger rolls out of the way. Luger then chops Pillman, uh, or I should say he drops Pillman over the top rope and uh, does like a basically a clothesline stunner over the top rope. We see an Irish whip into the ropes for Luger to follow through with a running clothesline to Pillman, and that got some heel heat from the crowd. Luger does a, a, a second running clothesline uh, to the front and then as uh, to knock it down Pillman, and then as soon as Pillman gets up, he rebounds off the ropes, uh, Luger does, and he does a second clothesline from behind to knock down Brian Pillman. Luger hits a standing vertical suplex and does an arrogant cover for a two-count from referee Tommy Young. Luger misses an attempt to do a clothesline, a diving-like clothesline, and he kind of hurdles himself through the middle and top rope and uh, falls out to the floor. Luger tries to get back into the ring and is successful, but does a uh, a top rope superplex attempt onto Brian Pillman. And then Pillman essentially knocks him down to the canvas and attempts to do a drop kick off of the top rope, uh, but instead decides uh, to do a top rope sunset flip instead and gets a a very long two count from referee Tommy Young. Uh, Brian Pillman goes out to the apron and does his leaping air Pillman clothesline where he goes from the canvas to a vertical leap to the top rope and then a diving clothesline. But Luger is smart enough to kind of roll towards the edge of the ring and gets his foot on the bottom rope at the count of two. Brian Pillman climbs the top rope and attempts for a top rope drop kick. Luger moves out of the way and uh, essentially causes Pillman to spill down hard onto the canvas. Luger fires Pillman into the ropes, and Luger tries to do another running clothesline, but Pillman was successful in ducking as Pillman runs and rebounds off the rope. Uh, Luger catches him for a big scoop. He picks him up and does essentially a hot shot like stun gun clothesline onto the top rope, squarely in the center of Pillman's throat, drops Pillman down, and rolls him up for the big one, two, three. So we have this out-of-the-nowhere finish of the match. Lots of heel heat for Luger. Luger successfully defends his United States Championship. Such a good match. Um, I only found two things bad about this match in its entirety. Um, The cheerleaders were disappointing. Uh, Brian Pillman's cheerleaders. And then uh, I also notice, especially with Luger, but there was a lot of it over the course of the evening. There is a lot of stringy, terrible-looking split-end hair amongst everyone in this evening. Did no one in WCW know what conditioner is? Did it take Kevin Nash coming along to be like, this is what your hair could look like? And then you get all the ladies as well. 
If there's one man that knows good conditioning, it's Kevin Hellions. There you go. I am head and shoulders above the rest. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. <laughs> so Luger, like, for his size, he does a phenomenal job playing the, the chicken poop heel. Yeah, absolutely. Like, avoiding Pillman's moves and all. He Like, I, I was... I knew I'd be impressed with Pillman. I did not expect to be impressed by Luger, really. But I thought he did a real good job for a lot of stuff in this match. Pillman looks like he should have been a single star throughout this. Um, Luger gets yelling at the fans, which wasn't there a time. uh, Didn't he and Bulldog get in it with the fans at one point, too? I believe so. Um, And in your house. Yeah. So he just, you know, he has issues with fans. Um, there was a great line from the announcers that I really loved. He's wrestling a great match, but not a smart match. And I was like, man, that is an argument. That's a problem I've had with other things like, uh, stone cold. Oh, let me go after McMahon. Okay. Dude, the title's on the line. Anytime you go after McMahon, you're risking a count out. You're risking disqualification. You're risking someone else doing a pinfall in this match. And ultimately you're risking losing the title. Get him later. The match can be fantastic, but it doesn't make logic right? for what you would think someone's goal would be for the match there. Um, Luger seemed like he, he had to get warmed up. Like after a couple minutes in the match, he's he's ready to go and all. Then everything really started improving and kicking into gear and all. He's I, I mentioned Steiner. I think Luger's even bigger than Steiner here. Like absolutely huge. What, what did they used to say he was like under two percent body fat, something crazy like that? I I can't believe how big he is. And like we're saying, that's unfortunately probably why he's in the condition he is in now. Too. Oh, absolutely. But God, he looks amazing. Like it, it, it's it's obvious why you want to make him the star. Right. You know, he just looked incredible for it. Um, but I mean, really. I was so shocked with him playing this heel role and bouncing all over the place for Pillman. Both men look great. Both men look strong. Hell of a match. Yeah, you brought up the announcers, and I did want to point out, too, one thing that they that they would bring up. Um, Gordon Soli in the interview with Luger asked him, how many times have you been U.S. champion? And he said, I think it was three times in one year. They kept saying that. And Gordon Soli says, well, it means you can be beaten. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was that fantastic. Was right. It was a fantastic line. Um, and one thing that like, you know, Ric Flair always says he's the 16 time world champion. Well, you must have lost the belt 15 times at least. So, right. Um, it's kind of a, a, an interesting thing. All right. Hang on. Cause that line bothers me. Cause I, I, I have had family members. It's like, Oh, well he's, if he's won the title 16 times, it means he's lost at least 15. Man, 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 man. Don't see it as losing a title. I would see it as winning an Academy Award for you to have your peers recognize that you're the best one of the year to have won that award 15 times means at least 15 times you've put on better work than anyone else in your field. And I think that should be seen as the accomplishment and not well, it must mean someone beat you. Okay. So my question to you is, do the Academy Awards happen every three to five weeks during the Attitude Era? When you're changing the title like every month, right? Well, I mean, we're not there yet, but if ratings go down, maybe we'll get to Russo writing the Academy Awards. Oh, geez. I get Hellion's perspective 
uh, about the, you know, the line of work and so on. But then Matt, I also understand your perspective as well. Storyline of the 30 day, you know, defending clause for your championship and so on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I think it's more impressive. Okay. I, I think the best comparison would be boxing or UFC. It's more pr- impressive that John Jones is a one-time champion, but he's defended the title 17 times in right. 17 fights or whatever it is. Like he's just never lost it in eight years or some insane amount. Like that is always more impressive to me than, um, then someone that loses it, gets it back, loses it, gets it back, plays it like that. But I understand what you're saying, Kevin, because um, you look at wrestling from the performance standpoint, but you got to remember wrestling is a simulated fight and it's a simulated sport. So um, that's just kind of, you know, in, in the closest sport, it would be simulating is boxing or MMA. And, and, and I would say we both have good points here. It just depends on the angle that you're coming into this with. Neither of us are wrong. We can both be right in our own ways. There doesn't have to be a loser, kind of like us defeating Sequel Quest. Well, I mean, in that situation, I mean, Sequel Quest is the loser. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Wait. So there was a loser. Right, <laughs> right. in Ooh. our situation, all winners. Oh. oh, It was just some podcast that we buried a long time ago. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't even invest time in that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you were figure hunting or something. I can't I was figure hunting or probably out in the yacht, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um so anyways, let's move on to Chris Cruz interviewing the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering. And then we move on to match number seven, our co-main event of the evening, um which is the Skyscrapers with Theodore R. Long taking on the road warriors with Paul Ellering. Um, a couple interesting things I do want to point out. Number one, the skyscrapers were Dan Spivey and Sid vicious. Of course, theater R. long is Teddy long. Um, the road warriors are actually on the cover for this pay-per-view. They are on the box art for the VHS. They were on the poster. Um, just kind of goes to show you how popular they are. Uh, one thing is there is a, a stare down to begin the match. And is it me? Is Hawk really tall or was Sid Vicious not as tall as I always thought? Because there's only like a two inch difference between them. And that was kind of shocking to me. Sid may have been crouching down or Hawk may have been really stretching up in order to do that. It wasn't impressive. The, the stare downs that they had, I thought were really, really cool, man. The skyscrapers, their entrance to to the ring, fantastic, fantastic look coming down to the ring. Just the 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 leather vests and and the the chaps and the gear. But once they got in the ring, ugh, it was ugly. Did you not like this match? Um, I I I'll throw this out there. I enjoyed this kind of big man versus big man. You move. Uh, irresistible force meets the unmovable object um i i just i really liked it i thought it was interesting i did point out that there is more um there is more clotheslines in this match than i've ever seen i mean this is clothesline city here it's every Um, other move but to to kind of piggyback on what you said earlier about the ring if you notice when they're irish whipping the ring is like moving like six inches uh, yeah. every time one of these guys is getting thrown into the ropes. It, it was uh, very impressive. There's no movement of the ropes. You can tell it's these, these steel cables, and man, they are super, 
super tight. You have very little to no give to them whatsoever. I think it's one of the best big man matches we've seen in the course of this podcast. I will say that does not mean it's a great match, but for the moves they can do, the power in there, the way that ring moved, the way they're just beating the hell out of each other, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not saying this is going to be on our top five list at the end of the pay-per-view, but or at the end of the uh at the series, but I really enjoyed this match for what it was when we were, I mean, we were coming off big man versus big man matches that the guys couldn't move. They were, you know, too flimsy and, or or just, you know, too slow and prodding and didn't really work together. And I thought these four guys uh, worked pretty well together. Um, Plus it was interesting to see the road warriors actually be able to uh, be closer to their prime and in their peak compared to the LOD 2000. Hawk looked phenomenal, super shredded in this match. Animal, one of the things that I noticed with Animal, his look, I'm so used to the the fuller had a hair mohawk, whereas the mohawk that he had in this, I mean, his hair was shaved down really, really tight to the scalp, and he still had a mohawk with it. So he he just, he looked different. And, And the yellow paint as well kind of made animals presentation look different. I loved the, the leg guards that had the spikes on them as they walked to the ring. Um, I just, yeah, their entrance was just phenomenal. Them coming up almost like a brood like entrance with the raised platform, uh, bringing them up. Uh, yeah. You are a big mark for that brood. Oh, race I love up it. From the bottom entrance. I love it. Did you like, uh, when Ray Mysterio jr. Would catapult from the, from the entrance? Yeah, Rey Mysterio would do that. That one was okay, but the slow, gradual <laughs> rise, yeah, definitely Well, loved. why don't you go ahead and uh, break this one down for us? All right, sounds good. Start of the match, we see Animal trying to do a stiff clothesline to Spivey and trying to knock him over the top rope onto the floor. Unfortunately, Dan Spivey botches the bump itself and kind of just drops down and lay, rolls out towards the ringside uh, underneath the rope itself. We see Hawk tag in, and he hits a flying shoulder block to Dan Spivey to knock him down again, and Spivey rolls out into the floor. We see Sid Vicious tagging into the ring. He goes for a clothesline to Hawk, but he swings his arm a little bit too high, more of a glancing blow, but Hawk ends up no-selling it, and instead Hawk returns with a clothesline of his own to knock Sid down. We see lots of power displays back and forth between the Road Warriors and uh, the members of the skyscrapers where one man would bounce off the rope and do a shoulder tackle into the other man standing in the middle of the ring. And we see that a lot towards the beginning of the match itself. At one point, Animal is tagged in to uh, face off against Sid. Animal hits the ropes and does a running, jumping shoulder block to Sid to knock him down. We see a test of strength between Hawk and Sid Vicious, where Vicious gets the upper hand. Uh, to start, but then Hawk eventually overcomes, overpowers Sid, backs Sid into the corner, and does a monkey flip onto Sid to send Sid uh, launching to the opposite side of the ring. At one point in the match, we see Sid getting knocked down, but he does an immediate kip up and then does a pretty nasty-looking clothesline to Hawk to knock him down. Uh, For me, the move of the night was Sid picking up Hawk as if he's going to do a power bomb, 
but instead does more of a helicopter twist, kind of like a razor's edge, but a 360 twist, spinning Hawk around and then launching him across the ring, kind of like a helicopter power bomb itself. It was it was really impressive to see Hawk thrown around like that by Sid himself. Dan Spivey ta- tags back in and he knocks Hawk down to the floor where then Sid attacks Hawk and drops him uh, throat first over the guardrail. We see Spivey hitting a standing vertical suplex back into the ring onto Hawk to get a two count from referee Nick Patrick. Hawk tries to brawl back and forth with Sid, but Sid uh, hits a standing clothesline to essentially knock Hawk back down. Spivey tags back in and he gets another suplex on uh, to Hawk himself. Sid will tag back into the match and continues to work more of like a guillotine like face lock onto Hawk to continue to wear him down. Eventually, Hawk reaches over and makes the tag to Animal, but Teddy Long had apparently distracted the referee, so the referee never saw the legal tag. Animal's trying to come in and brawl, but somehow Nick Patrick is able to get Animal back out of the ring. We see Dan Spivey throwing Hawk into the corner turnbuckle. Spivey tries to follow in with like an avalanche or an axe handle, but uh, Hawk lifts up his big boot to knock Spivey back and then follows through with a clothesline. Finally, Animal does get the hot tag. He hits a drop kick to Spivey and then a shoulder tackle to Spivey. Animal whips Spivey into the ropes and hits his scoop power slam. And then right after that power slam, we see Teddy Long get onto the turnbuckle or onto the side ring apron. And he throws in a metal object. Now, because I wasn't following the storyline, the I'm not sure what the reality is, if it was like the key to the city or something. But Teddy Long is just carrying around this big old metal key. And he tosses it to Spivey. And Spivey uses it as a weapon to hit one of the members of the LOD. And as a result, referee calls for the DQ. Hawk and Sid, uh, uh, Sid Vicious and uh, Dan Spivey continue to work on Animal, smacking him with the key. Hawk eventually climbs to the top rope, does a diving clothesline onto Spivey, who drops the key. Hawk picks up the key, starts beating down both of the skyscrapers. LOD stands tall at the end of the match with a DQ win over the skyscrapers. I can't stand the ending, but I like everything else so much I can overlook it. But the key's kind of like just ridiculous. Um, couple speaking of ridiculous, a couple of my thoughts before I get to my main thought here. I love seeing the kid with the hawk Halloween mask. Like it looked like a, a Ben Cooper, you know, mask and apron set thing, like you'd get at a, a Woolworth or Hills or Names or something when we were younger. Um treats you should see how much it is on eBay. Could be your outfit for this Halloween season. Um, there are choices that we make in life. But I don't think I've ever had to commit to a choice quite like Dan Spivey had to commit to the spike mullet. That hairstyle is fantastic. At one point, the announcers don't call the Road Warriors the Road Warriors. They call them LOD, but instead of the Legion of Doom, they call them the Lords of Discipline, which I gotta imagine is a name probably used by other groups. That also enjoy wearing leather. Seems seems like a name they should probably not continue to use. Now, I'm going to say something. 
I'm going to put a, a, an allegedly out there just to just to be, be nice and play and safe. I think so far this is my favorite steroid match. Allegedly, of course. But the amount that everyone is absolutely gassed and just showing how big they are and how many matches are just showing, look at the size of my arms. Look at how tough I am. Look at how, what I can do. It makes it so much fun. It, it, it's the wrestling equivalent of the home run race in baseball. I don't care if they're on steroids. I'm having fun watching this. Let it go. Why don't we follow that up with Christopher Cruz interviewing The Rock, Ole Anderson, Ric Flair, and Sting. The Rock nickname for Ole Anderson, was this because of The Rock, Don Morocco at the time? I, I believe so. I think it was a spoof of play on words but this is 89 and come 89 morocco's already gone from wf so who knows what 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 would the intent was of this at this point yeah so we get in we we learn about the terminators which they've kind of been talking about um throughout um and then we go to our main event of the evening which is the thunderdome match so we have the great Muda and Terry Funk um, with Gary Hart as the Terminator uh, taking on Ric Flair and Sting with The Rock, Ole Anderson as their Terminator with Bruno San Martino as the special guest referee. And I'm just going to say it right now, what a spectacle this was with the, the cage lowering and the, well, excuse me, the Thunderdome lowering and, uh, I think my favorite thing of the match was when the great Muda mystified the fire of the cage. Right. That was, that was caught on fire. So the pyro causing some sort of fabric like wrap at the top of the cage. Cause the gate, the cage was all gimmicked up for Halloween spookiness, whatever uh, the fire that from the pyro itself and then Muda climbing up and using his green mist to essentially spray it down. As the commentators are like, yeah, we just saw Doug Dillinger go after a, a fire high, or a, a fire extinguisher to, to try to blow it out. But Mood has already got it. He's got his own plan. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, good match, I think, overall. You know, it's it's a poor man's Hell in the Cell or the precursor to the Hell in the Cell. How flimsy the cage truly was watching these guys climb up and down and shake the cage. Uh, the gimmick for the cage supposedly being electrified and one of the members touching it, selling it that it's electrified, and then his tag team partner maybe 30 seconds later climbing to the top and just swinging around like crazy. Yeah, it, you know, unfortunate cue that was missed by the partner. But, yeah, it was a fun fun match. The finish was cool in terms of uh, the double team maneuver to call it, cause the finish. Overall, not bad. Every bit of this felt like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And that was where all thought ended. There was no like logistics put in. There was no, it was probably like, okay, let's do this Thunderdome thing. You guys are going to win and we'll see you all there next week. But like, hey, is it electrified or isn't it? Can we touch it? Can we only climb so high? Why is there a rope? Screw it. I'm going to swing from it. Why is there a gargoyle? oil head don't care it's halloween we're gonna climb up can we actually escape i don't know the top is bent in like we're trying to catch a rodent in the backyard here so i'm not sure if we're actually supposed to or not 
the Terminator rules never get fully explained. It's just, it literally seems like they just threw everyone out there and said, figure it out. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, it is a lot of fun, though. I thought personally, I enjoyed this match. Um, I, as all, I enjoyed the entire card. I thought it was a, a really fun breath of fresh air from the WWE Sports Entertainment. But I find it funny that throughout this card, we've been talking about how the difference between this pro wrestling and then the sports entertainment. And then the main event is really a sports entertainment main event. Oh yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you're dealing with the great Muda sting who really don't fit the vibe of every other wrestler on the show. And right. then of course the Thunderdome ring, the Thunderdome match itself. Um, I, I just find that kind of funny that, you know, here we're talking about, Oh, it's, it's, it's a great breath of fresh air. It's more pro wrestling. It's presented differently. And then the main event, it would be a WWF style main event. Did either of you guys catch the little pot shot that JR had on commentary about one of uh, the WWF superstars in this match? I did not. So no. in the match, there uh, Jim Ross is going over. Uh, how Sting's only been in the business for like three or four years that he originally debuted as a member of a tag team. Oh, and, I did. I did. Keep going. And yep. then he says something along the lines of uh, as a member of the Blade Runners and that how his partner Sting's former partner in the Blade Runners certainly has not progressed as well as Sting has. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> you know? You know, at this point, Sting had, you know, a television title run that he had just, you know, dropped to, to Muda. And now this is, uh, you know, Halloween of 89-ish, October. You know, Warrior is now in his second run as Intercontinental Champion and is very soon going to be, you know, laying the seeds for that title match with Hogan at Mania 6. So. Certainly, I don't think that was a Jim Ross call. I think it was the higher-ups that were uh, encouraging him to throw a barb or some shade or two uh, towards WWF at the time. I did have that line written down, but I didn't have any context in my notes. And I'm staring at it going, who in the heck is he talking about? And as soon right. as he brought up, I, I mean, that's a hell of a dig. That's oh, a absolutely. Line, right? Yeah, I, oh, of course he's bar- trying to bury the warrior and whatnot, but it's fine. All right, so we start off the match with Ric Flair with some stiff chops to Terry Funk in the corner. We see Flair body slamming Terry Funk two times and then doing a scoop slam to Terry Funk over the top rope onto the floor next to the cage. The announcers talk about how there's supposedly about five feet of clearance between the ring apron and the cage. It was more like three, three and a half feet. Not a lot of room to move around. We see at one point Sting sending Funk to the floor and Sting slams Terry Funk kind of headfirst into the cage itself so that Terry Funk's kind of guillotined into one of the squares of the cage itself. At one point, we see Ric Flair hitting a reverse atomic drop on the Great Muda, and then all four men start brawling on the floor near the entrance to uh, the ringside area. Muda hits a nice-looking snapping elbow drop to Sting, and then leaps, uh, then bounces off the ropes and hits a running leg drop onto Sting. Funk and Muda uh, do a continuous elbow drop tandem double team maneuver where they're each dropping elbows on Sting, who's laid out in the middle of the ring. 
we see Sting eventually recover, and we see a double-team maneuver where uh, Ric Flair does an atomic drop onto the great Muda, and as soon as Muda lands on uh, Flair's knee, Sting does a diving clothesline onto Muda to knock him down. Then we see Sting and Muda begin to climb the cage in a corner where there's a dangling rope. Muda climbs to the top of the cage, touches the top of the cage, and sells that it's an electrified cage and starts shaking his hands as if he's you know, burned or electrocuted from touching the top. Then maybe 30 seconds later, we see Flair and Funk climbing the opposite side of the cage, and Terry Funk's now at the very, very top, but suddenly there's no electrocution uh, going on whatsoever. We see Flair is just crazily chopping Terry Funk, who's kind of like dangling from the top of the cage in the corner, uh, holding on for dear life. Sting picks up Muda inside the ring and does a press slam. He teases that he's going to toss Muda out onto the floor, but ends up just dropping him on the canvas near the middle of the ring. Flair and Muda begin to exchange uh, stiff chops on the floor near the edge of the cage wall. Flair catches Muda and sets Muda up and puts him in the figure four leg lock while Sting is seen in the background. Uh, battling with Terry Funk and is kind of swinging Tarzan style from one corner of the cage to the opposite wall where Terry Funk is, trying to essentially drop kick him with the rope. And then at one point, somehow Terry Funk is able to successfully tie Sting's leg to the cage itself. So now Sting is kind of like trapped to the cage. So that gives Terry Funk the opportunity to get into the ring. And so he and Muda can double flare on Sting. Muda uh, sets up Ric Flair in the middle of the ring. He does his Muda lock where he grapevines the leg and then does a reverse chin lock onto Flair. It's a common submission hold that Muda used to do. Terry Funk then uh, essentially gets into the ring and they double team stuff pile driver uh, Ric Flair. Sting eventually, with the help of Ole Anderson, is able to escape his being tied up from Terry Funk. He climbs to about two-thirds of the total height of the cage and dives off of the cage over the corner turnbuckle into the ring to, to a, like a flying shoulder tackle to Terry Funk. Flair recovers from his beatdown and starts working on Terry Funk's left knee with stomps to the kneecap. He does a shin breaker onto Terry Funk and then is continuously working the, the leg itself dropping his hips onto the knee as it's draped over the rope. Muda body slams Sting and attempts to set up for a moonsault, and as Muda climbs to the top rope, uh, it's off camera, but you can hear the bump where Sting drop kicks Muda and causes Muda to f- drop onto the turnbuckle and then fall off the turnbuckle onto the floor. We see Ric Flair back into the ring, lock the figure four onto Sting, And in one of the more iconic visuals for late NWA, early WCW, as the great or as Terry Funk is in the figure four, Sting dives off of the top rope to do um, a superfly like splash two times in a row. Muda gets into the ring and tries to suddenly attack Bruno Sammartino for some reason, but Bruno is able to knock Muda out and not uh, punch him out of the ring. Gary Hart then climbs onto the ring apron and attempts to get into the ring, but Ole Anderson heads him off and decks Ole Anderson in the face, 
causing Oleander or causing Gary Hart to fling his towel up into the air and it lands right on Bruno San Martino's shoulders. When San Martino turns around, he looks at Ole Anderson, who still has his towel in his hands. So he immediately calls for the bell, saying that Gary Hart indicated that a submission is now taking place, and Sting and Flair have won the Thunderdome main event. You know, like I, I said earlier, I really think there's no direction given to this match. I think there's no planning to it. I think everyone in this match was left to their own devices in a sports entertainment match on a wrestling card. But all that said, the MVP of this match ends up being Terry Funk. Controlling it, bumping, making everyone look good, having drama to the match, selling, just being nuts, everything. Plus seeing him in this ridiculously in shaped jacked version of Terry Funk too like beyond impressed with what he did in this match and to control I mean he's Flair is at least a peer if not someone for him to look up to Sting's a kid Buddha's from Japan like there's so many different different points in their careers for everyone in the match and I, I think Funk ends up controlling the match and doing great and making what could have ended up being kind of a sloppy mess into a really, really fun match. Yeah, I thought it was uh, it was a fun match. Like you, I, I don't know. I really I did enjoy this. I understand what you guys are saying with it being a a sloppy match, but uh, it works. It it was like wrestling goulash. Just throw a bunch of stuff in there, and it works. It's delicious. Compared to uh, the Bad Blood uh, Hell in the Cell, which was wrestling lasagna with layers. This was wrestling goulash. This is wrestling goulash. Yeah, guys, I think that is it for Halloween Havoc 89. So you know what that means. It's time to rank the pay-per-view. Where does this go on our top five, guys? Um, Let's see. There was that one. And then there's mm-hmm. the other one. Other one, yeah. This one had the Tommy Rich match. Yeah, it did have the Tommy Rich match though. But it had the had the Luger Pillman, right? Mm-hmm. And the main event was pretty cool too. So I think I'm going to put it in number one. Yeah, personally. I think so. All right, so this one will go right at. This one is sitting at number one on our list. Now, uh, Kevin Hellions, you sent me a text and said there may be two matches on this pay per view that may make our top five match list by the end of the series. I'm going to guess one of them was the Luger-Pillman match. I'm going to say that was the best match on the card. I I think it was the best match on the whole card, and I think as we start our, our new top five list for Halloween Havoc series, that is one to consider. Okay, so what was number two? Just going through the breakdown, I'm going to think... You really liked the Z-Man Mike Rotunda match. I I did, but I think for for what it is and the spectacle and the sports entertainment of it all, I would consider Thunderdome for the yeah, list. I'd say the main event as well. And I and looking at it, I would go with, you know, because it's our first uh first particular uh show in the series, I don't have a problem with starting out with putting two on the list just so that we have a working working listed going into the next few shows. 
yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to rank like what I think the best five matches on this card are. No, that wouldn't be then we're fair. Just dropping, yeah, we're dropping matches right away here. Right. All right. Before so we can I, lose the Cuban Assassin versus Tommy Rich yeah, match. It's tough. It's tough. Would you lose Dynamic Dudes Freebirds? Yeah. Yeah. As much of a crowd pop as the Freebirds got at the end. Nah, it wasn't that great of a match. And then what would the other match you would lose be? In all honesty. I think we should if just we start were, with I mean, we're just not, putting two we on were. the list and then going. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, though, if you had to lose three of the matches, because then we'd have a de facto top five. Right. I'd pull Steiner's Doom. Oh, but that was the one you broke down, Kevin. And you did it so eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyways, we will put... Uh, the Lex Luger Brian Pillman match at number one and tentatively number two will be the Thunderdome match. Um, and hopefully we get more, more entries next week when we cover Halloween Havoc 1990 Terror Rules the Ring. Now, this is a very interesting event because we are actually going to be watching not one but two versions of it The Educator. And myself will be watching the WWE Network version of the show. But Kevin, straight out of Hellions, you have been tasked by watching a different version of the show. So what is the difference between the two? The WWE Network version is the VHS version of this event. And I don't know if it is an issue with VHSs at the time and it was all SP recording, but that version is only two hours. However, the original pay-per-view is a three-hour pay-per-view. So there are four matches cut from the release. However, if you know how to search for things on the internet, you can find that full card on there. Yeah, so so this will be a very interesting uh, event because we will have four matches broken down by Kevin Hellions and his oh, notes. Oh, I didn't even realize that's what... Ah, oh, son of a... There it is. <laughs> there it is. Oh, oh my I worked myself into a shoot. You did. Yeah. yeah, when you brought it up, you were the one that wants to do it. And I'm very disappointed because I think one of the matches that the educator and myself are going to be missing is the Master Blasters versus the Southern Boys. Sounds like it. Yeah. So, well, at least we get another Tommy Rich match next next year <laughs> as I look at the card. Of course, the main event for next week's episode is Sid Vicious taking on Sting for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in the main event. So I look forward to that. Uh, educator of Exorcisms, what do you want to say to the people out there? Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening in to our Chapter 2 of our podcast series as we are checking through the Halloween Havoc shows uh, from WCW slash NWA. want to say thank you to my two co-hosts for the opportunity to hang out with them, to tape this show tonight. Great to reminisce, a very, very old show. And I look forward to continuing to work on this project with you guys. want to say thank you to all the fans for tuning in. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting our show. And uh, uh, sequel class... Thanks for the easy win, man. Yeah, and I just want to say, uh, of course, thank you to the Retro Network for letting us kick off the haunted Halloween month here on the Retro Network. There is great content on every podcast and just on the website every day being updated, whether it's an article or audio that you are looking for. We have the AA, the Arn Anderson, the audio, and the articles. So uh, make sure you're going to all 
of the content. And if you really do want to get all the content, please subscribe to the Patreon and hang out with us in the VIP lounge. It's cool in there. So I, I enjoy that very much. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. And I want to thank our sponsors, HalloweenCostumes.com and Fun.com. Of course, use the coupons in the show notes. Use those links in the show notes to receive 20% off a HalloweenCostumes.com and 15% off Fun.com. And uh, yeah, uh, Kevin Hellions, why don't you take us home? All right. Thank you guys for another great show. Thank you to the Retro network for hosting us thank you to wwe network for the content thank you to richard reader for our logo once you're done checking out the show notes for halloweencostumes.com and fun.com make sure to check out our merchandise christmas is coming up and who wouldn't look great in a house show t-shirt if you would like to follow us online you can follow us at trn house show that's across most social medias matt is online at maddie treats i am online at mast library and masslibrary.com is my blog educators on his yacht as usual and uh guys i i may not look like much now i may look like a moldy lump of clay but i'm drinking milk and i think if i continue along this path i can challenge tommy rich for the comeback of the year This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.